Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, February 2nd, we're studying Luke chapter 6, verses 20 to 36. Jesus preaches an extended sermon to his disciples, pronouncing them blessed in him and giving instruction on what life as his disciples looks like. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ, as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Ulmer. Pastor Ulmer serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning. Pastor Ulmer, as we get started this morning, let's talk a little context. What should we know about Luke, what he's been telling us so far leading up to the words of Jesus we get to hear today? Yeah, I think uh, a couple chapters back, you you get... Uh, the baptism of Jesus, you get his temptation, the beginning of his earthly ministry. Uh, once his earthly ministry starts, he does uh, start preaching and teaching. Uh, the most famous example of that is kind of his first uh, extended teaching and sermon that happens in Luke 4. This is, of course, uh, when Jesus went to his hometown and he, he proclaimed to them that the scripture in Isaiah had been fulfilled in their midst. And after a back and forth with the people of the synagogue, he uh, ended up getting himself in a little bit of hot water there in Nazareth, where they tried to take him up into the throwing people off a hill and tried to throw him off. But Jesus did escape them. Uh, then he goes and calls his uh, first disciples, uh, kind of starts the process of calling people to follow him. Jesus does uh, some miracles. Um, and then in this journey of Jesus kind of starting off of his ministry, the the event right before this message is out of the group of disciples that Jesus had called to follow him. He did uh, kind of select and name 12 of them to be apostles or sent ones. Uh, once this uh, selection of these apostles happens, that's when the events of this kind of text take over the the audience of this text and kind of what he was intending to do with this text um, starts to become apparent. Let's, let's go right to that question in the audience of this text. The very first verse that we'll read, he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So the, the evangelist tells us that the disciples— that's the audience. Why is why is it important that we recognize who the audience of this sermon is? Yeah, this is this is one of those things where audience does uh, play a part because in in a lot of cases in a lot of different places, such as the sermon in uh, Luke four in the synagogue uh, in Nazareth, you you get this idea that Jesus is kind of always speaking to everybody who is around. Uh, with this particular sermon, it really seems to be the case where the audience uh, is kind of small and more restricted. Uh, that's not to say that the only people who were listening to this sermon were the Twelve Apostles. Uh, that's not the case, because it's out of the, the larger group of 
disciples that Jesus picks those 12, and it's out of that larger group of disciples that Jesus sends the 72. But you have this group of people who's listening to Jesus, and they're already people who, by his kind of word and his miracles and his call, have uh, begun to follow him. And that makes a difference because in this sermon, Jesus is, at least in my reading of this and reading commentaries on it, this sermon serves like two very, very uh, important functions that really only apply to somebody who is already at least on board a little bit, if that makes sense. Um, the The sermon is kind of directed towards people who already have at least that that tinder of belief in him. So, okay, just to, to make this point, that if, if we don't recognize the audience, then we may misapply the sermon. If, if we think it's directed at someone who has absolutely no clue who Jesus is and who doesn't, or even maybe an outright unbeliever of Jesus, then we're going to read it in the wrong way. We, we need to recognize that it comes from Jesus to his disciples, again, a broader group than the apostles. Those two groups were distinguished in the previous text, but still those who have begun to follow him, who have begun to learn from him, and who, it seems, believe in him at this point. Now, I think you mentioned, Pastor Elmer, there's there's two functions that are going to apply to those who are, I think you said, on board with Jesus. What are those two functions yeah. of the sermon? Yeah, the, the, the two functions of the sermon are these. In, in the first section, there are and I, I'm sure that we're going to get into it in, the, in this talk more, how there is a, a matching set of blessings and woes. There are three of, of each, and they these blessings and these woes really depict what it means to be uh, a follower of Jesus, and by kind of the opposite term, the woes tell you what it, what it means to, to not be a follower of Jesus. So you have these blessings which describe uh, what happens to a person, what they receive from being a follower of Jesus, that blessing. And then the second part of the sermon is, as, as I read in, in Just Commentary specifically, and, and I think I agree with him here, where Jesus takes a more catechetical and teaching tone where once somebody has become a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, once somebody who has received the blessing of being a follower of Jesus, then that faith that they receive turns into action. And that action isn't any other or any random action in the world, but those actions that Jesus' disciples takes are, are very specific. And kind of in a, I, I, I hate to say this out loud, like being a Lutheran, but because sometimes we get a a attitude of kind of that the law it can be a bad thing but jesus is very direct about what he expects of his disciples in the second part of this sermon so you have this blessings of what it means to to be part of what jesus is doing and then the kind of the expectation of action uh once somebody becomes a part of what jesus is doing so i mean maybe a, a way we could think about that is to go to a, a more familiar passage to lutherans perhaps from ephesians 2 verses 8 yeah. through 10 and if you go all the way through 10, you, you get, I think, both halves of what Jesus is doing here as well. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Paul says very famously, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and that too is not your doing. That's the gift of God. And then in verse 10, he says, you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. And it sounds like something similar is what's going on here with Jesus. His beatitudes and woes, 
This is his descriptive. This is who you are saved by God's grace. And then the the next section here in Luke chapter 6, that's Ephesians 2.10, where he says, okay, now here are the good works that God's prepared for you to do. Yeah, I think that's a very, very good analogy, um, if not more than an analogy. So, Pastor Elmer, a couple of other thoughts on, on what we are reading here. It's it's an extended sermon. If you've got a red-letter Bible, you know, you're going to see a good chunk of Luke chapter 6 that is in red. And much of it is going to sound familiar if you are a student of the Gospel of Matthew from what is called the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, what what is it? Is this the Sermon on the Mount maybe in summary? Is this a, another instance of Jesus preaching the same stuff in a different place? Does that question, can we even answer it? Does Do we need to answer it? Uh, just some thoughts on what. how do we classify this literature that we're reading right here in Luke 6? Yeah, I mean, it... That the whole thing comes up, uh, I think, a lot because of the gigantic similarity of the the beginnings of the sermon, if if that makes sense. Mm. Because Jesus uses that word makarios or blessed, that that beatitude word, and immediately I think any Christian who is familiar with the Bible when they see that blessed is the one or blessed are the ones phraseology. It just kind of automatically connects them together. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I mean, and I think you know, as as we read this, you're just going to hear the echoes of the Matthew five, six, seven. What's labeled the Sermon on the Mount. You're going to hear that here in Luke chapter six. I I know I've personally heard this called occasionally the Sermon on the Plain because in yeah, the I've previous text Jesus comes down to a level place. But, I mean, you know, it's not like when he was on the Sermon on the Mount, like, he would have been standing on a level place on a mountain still. You know, it's not like he's yeah. standing at the tippy-top point or something like that. So I, I just, I, I'm not sure that we can necessarily answer that question. And at the end, I'm not sure that it is necessarily necessary for us to say for certain, is this the same thing? Is it another occasion where he teaches the same things? I, mean, I think we should expect that Jesus would have repeated his teaching on multiple occasions from, say, what's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, 7 to Luke 6. Yeah, I, I agree I agree with that a lot, and and I, I would expect a teacher who has some very kind of important ideas to, to him as the teacher that he would repeat those things a lot. I would say a couple things as in reference back to Matthew 5. These texts aren't identical, number one. So that that's always... Uh, something to deal with. The Beatitudes section in the Sermon on the Mount is much, much longer, and the sermon itself in Matthew is much, much longer as a whole. Um, number two, um, Jesus' teaching of the law in the Sermon on the Mount after the Beatitudes, I think, is a lot more expounded than it is here. Um, in, in this section, in that kind of law and, and catechetical and third use of the law teaching here, it, it seems to be much more condensed and direct than it is uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. If you can remember that the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus kind of expands all the laws. Uh, you have heard it said of old, you shall not murder, but I say to you, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, that kind of thing. Um, here, Jesus, when he when he goes into catechetical teaching, he, he makes very, very direct um, statements of command and it doesn't really expound on the law like he does in the Sermon on the Mount. Third, 
I think one of the things that I found very, very interesting in, in doing preparation for this talk this morning is that there does seem to be at least a little bit of a difference in how Matthew and Luke kind of treat the Beatitudes, where in Matthew, uh, he'll say something like, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, or uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, so Matthew's uh, version of the Beatitudes almost seems like there's a spiritualized component of what's going on. Luke's uh, account of the Beatitudes is missing that kind of spiritualization component. When, when Jesus speaks these words in Luke, he says, blessed are those who hunger now. Um, you get that real kind of earthly, fleshly, bodily component of not hungering for righteous, but physical hunger. We're talking about poverty. We're talking about people uh, being hated. So you kind of get a little bit of a, of a different flavor uh, between the, even the two sets of Beatitudes. Yeah, I think we'll get a chance to to talk about some of those things as we go through these verses. And, and you know, per, again, perhaps we, we should just say we're not positive if they're the same event. I think what you're pointing yeah. out is that it makes good sense to think they're not the same thing, and that Jesus taught one thing there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and then Luke records another time where Jesus taught some very similar things, but had some different emphases in those, or different nuances to pick up in the in the teaching that we'll see. And so I think we can, you know, look at them side by side, but when they're different, you know, that doesn't ne- mean we need to say something silly like, oh, one of them got it wrong, or something like that. No, yeah. they both are yeah, inspired by the Holy the Spirit. Right, right. So, Pastor Ulmer, one more thought just by way of introduction, and we'll get to the text eventually, but just it, it dawned on me as, as you were talking there about Jesus' previous sermon in Luke 4, where he preaches at the synagogue in Nazareth, that when he, he gets up and he reads there in the synagogue from Isaiah 61, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And, and there's more there. But we talked about in, in that text from Luke 4, when we studied it here on Sharper Iron, that it's very programmatic for Jesus' ministry. And it, it just strikes me that now as Jesus begins to teach again in an extended way, the first words he's going to say are, blessed are you who are poor. And, and that's precisely the people he was sent to proclaim good news to. So just to, to point out that even though there are different audiences there in Luke 4 and here in Luke 6, we see some similar themes in Jesus' teaching from Luke 4 to Luke 6. Yeah, and... And I, and I think that can even be expanded more, and we, we may or may not talk about that here. That's right. That's right. I try not to but, spill but all the beans, <laughs> but there's more yeah, parallels. I mean, you, you, get this, you get this idea here that he's kind of talking to the poor and the needy because they're the people who are in need of a Savior. And this is a, opposed to, to kind of the opposite end of that coin, uh, because here in these Beatitudes, he is speaking woe on people who, at least in their own mind, have enough. So on one hand, you have these people who, who don't have what they need, yet in Christ they have more than enough. They are blessed in Christ. They receive from him uh, way more than they need. And on the other token, you have a bunch of people who who think they have everything uh, going right for them. They have enough physical 
um, things. They have enough food. Uh, they don't have anybody speaking well of them yet in doing so uh, is their demise. I, and I, you kind of get that great reversal here in, in these Beatitudes. Well, let's go ahead and read then. And I'll just read the, the first section of the Beatitudes on the one hand that get paired with the woes on the other. So this is Luke 6, beginning at verse 20. And Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. That takes us through verse 26 of the text. That's Jesus' blessings, woes. Again, he's speaking to his disciples. So let, there's lots of things we can talk about here, Pastor Alma. Let's start just by de- defining when Jesus says, blessed are you, what does he mean? And then on the flip side, what does it mean to speak woe on, on the other hand? Yeah, so I think, I, I don't know about you, Pastor Apple, but every time you kind of run across this this blessed concept in Scripture, kind of always remember how how sometimes this word is translated in another uh, English translation that's happy. Mm. Um, happy is the one who is poor, and happy is the one who is poor in spirit. And, and that really does not seem to be the flavor of what's going on here. When When Jesus said, that somebody is blessed, it means that they have an identity with God and that uh, the true God, the creator of heaven and the earth, and the, the savior of humanity is on their side. Therefore, when they are connected to him, they are going to have the things that they need. Now, this is, this is where I, I say that blessing and happiness aren't always uh, synonyms because of when uh, the fulfillment of this promise happens. Does that make sense? I think so. Be- well, and what, go, go farther into that when this promise happens, because it just, and this is just looking at the verb tense. The first yeah. one, blessed are you who are poor for yours is, there's a present tense. Yeah. But then in the next one, blessed are you who are hungry, you shall be. So we've got a, a future. So when, when is this taking place? Yeah, so in, in blessing, you, you have the promise now, but you don't see the full fruits of it until later. For the one who is blessed by God, they, they have that identity when God claims them. We, we as Christians would, would understand that when, when somebody comes to saving faith in Jesus, when somebody's baptized in the faith, when God makes that claim on them that they are blessed— because they have that identity and their future is certain. But what that, that doesn't say is that, that the time between that claiming and the time when the, the kingdom of God is fully realized, it doesn't mean that time is all going to be sunshine and roses. Um, where happiness, I, I kind of at least in my own life think as a concept where happiness is, is a present um, 
emotion where things are going well, when things are going according to, to my will, and there's no reason for mourning or weeping or need because I'm happy. For, for the people of God, blessed are the poor because yours is the reign of God, they're blessed because they belong to God, and, and their future is going to be with him, with him uh, in the future. So no matter what happens between the claiming and the fulfillment of that prof- promise, they, they have hope uh, because they know what their future is in God. The same thing would go for those who hunger now. The ones who hunger now might uh, not receive uh, a sufficient meal in the moment of that speaking to fill their stomachs. But uh, because they belong to God, uh, Jesus is telling them that, that they will be taken care of. Um, so it's, it's more about a time frame of, of when the, the fullness of the, the promise gets experienced. So, I mean, the the first—I think the combination of tenses here really helps, because on, on the one hand, blessed are you who are poor, yours is the kingdom of God. You are living under God's reign right now, and, and that that is your reality right now. And then with the, the future tense, you know, you will be satisfied, you will laugh, and, and more. Those—because you belong to God right now, and because it is His promise— that future is so certain that in, it influences your right now, even if what you see with your eyes or what you experience in your life doesn't quite match. So even though you are hungry right now, the fact that you will be satisfied, and that's God's promise, it's like it brings that blessing to you ahead of time, maybe not in the, the complete fullness, but you still experience it right now, even though its fullness is still to come. Yeah, and and I think you get the same thing with uh, with that beatitude to the ones who are mourning. I I think it would it would be too easy as somebody who in the last couple of weeks has buried a couple of people. It would be too easy to discount the pain of those who mourn by saying Jesus says that you are happy. It, it's not, it's not that simple, right? As a pastor, you understand that mourning and loss is painful, but you also understand uh, the hope that is coming for both your loved one and for you if you belong to Christ. And and that realization, like you said, does affect how you live and how you see the world now. So it's this there's this wonderful, beautiful, complex soup of things that all happens uh, by being a member of what Jesus is doing. So let's let's do a little bit of compare and contrast. Then how how does that apply to the woes that Jesus? We'll come back to the Beatitudes more, I know. But but while we're on yeah. that same line of thinking, how does that apply to the woe and when that's experienced? Yeah. So. If, if you think about that, that complexity, if you can kind of think about it in reverse is what I kind of see Jesus doing here. The woe would be kind of the opposite of the blessed. So the, the one who is blessed is one who belongs to God and receives from God uh, all the fruits of the reign of God. The one who is woed is the one who by their own action separates himself from what God is doing and in doing so, earns for themselves 
the lack would that be an appropriate word the lack of the reign of god i i think perhaps the the lack of the reign of god i get what I, when i'm when i'm looking at what jesus says particularly you know again in verse 24 and, and following so woe to you yeah. who are rich you have received your consolation and then you, you get the the similar transition woe to you who are full now you shall be hungry it's it's it seems to be the opposite of the blessed ones in the sense that what yeah. the what the rich have now it's good, but that's as good as it's going to ever get, what they have now. And it's yeah. only going to get worse, which is the yeah. opposite it only, of It will of the only blessing. get worse, and it will only get way worse. Like, you, you think your stomach being full now is a good thing, and it is a good thing. I don't think anybody uh, alive that I would talk to would say that having a full stomach is a bad thing. But knowing knowing that full stomach is going to cause you to not trust in the Lord your God who created and redeemed you is going to lead to an eternity of emptiness. That's a bad thing. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, and I think that's the, and it's, it's hard to, I'm, I'm having trouble putting this into words because I usually think more of the Beatitudes, which is, you know, all you get in the Sermon on the Mount. Here in Luke chapter 6, you get both the Beatitudes and the woe, so we're invited to, to put them side by side. But the, the now and not yet of those who have the woe goes from sort of good, I mean, good in yeah. this life sense, but to completely, worse just doesn't do, do it justice, as bad as it can get in an eternal sense. Whereas with the, the Beatitudes, it's, you may or may not have the earthly blessing right now, but the heavenly reward that awaits will be far better than whatever it is that you're experiencing. And it's the, just the total opposite with the woes. You think you got something yeah. good right now, but you're going to find out that really you didn't have anything good by just how bad it's going to get in eternity. Yeah, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't put this in the, in the prep sheet, but it kind of reminds me of that whole, um, the, the one who would um, gain the whole world and yet lose a soul, that, that whole idea there. Yeah, you might be comfortable and, and be something now, but what did that cost? Well, the cost is coming in eternity, and that cost is hunger, and that cost is mourning and weeping. And and I, I don't think that trade-off's worth it, uh, to be honest. That's right, and I, I think that's part of the point <laughs> that Jesus is getting at for his disciples, is to show them, here's the blessing that you have as my disciples— Here's what, what you'd lose if, if you forsake following me. And so the, the call is, you know, keep following, believe in me, trust in me, receive the blessing that I have. We're going to pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFO. We're talking Luke chapter 6 with Pastor Matt Ulmer. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, February 2nd. We're studying Luke chapter 6, verses 20 to 36 with Pastor Matt Ulmer. He serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, prior to the break, we had started talking about the Beatitudes and woes that Jesus speaks in verses 20 through 26. I'd like to talk just a, a little bit about the what they actually say. We've talked in, in a little more wide context. You pointed out earlier that in Luke... Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor. In Matthew, maybe the one that we know a little bit better, Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. We're looking at Luke. So this blessed are you who are poor, how, how do we need to understand that? Is, is Jesus saying something, if your bank account, if the balance is above a certain threshold, you're out. And if it's below that threshold, you're in. I mean, that just, that, that, to me, sounds like a very mechanical way of thinking about it, very much like the Pharisees when they were thinking about the Sabbath and what it means to work on, you know, just a few texts earlier at the beginning of this chapter. So help us to understand, what does it mean to be poor and so be blessed? Yeah, I I think it's very, very important to understand because anytime we kind of reduce the working of God to a formula that we can understand, for instance, uh, to be one of my disciples, your bank account better not have more than $300 in it or something like that. Uh, number one, it's completely arbitrary. Number two, that's something that can be reduced down to a work of ours, which completely, uh, I believe it completely undo, does the, the point of what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples here, and by extension, us, his disciples in 2022. Uh who, who is poor? Uh, poor people are, are people who are lacking something. And in, in this case, I think they're, they're people who are lacking something, and they, they recognize that they're lacking something. And, and what Jesus is saying, for those who lack, I am um, the, the guy for them. The, the people who need something, whether it be needs of uh, the physical life, the, the daily bread that he promises to all his people, whether that need is the forgiveness of sins, which by that definition of, of mine there, I think all of us would have to admit that we are very poor because of our sins. We are in constant need of God's word to us, uh, his love, his forgiveness for us. Uh, poor would be people that need help in the midst of temptation. Poor would be people who need deliverance from evil, those, those things that we ask for in, in the Lord's Prayer. Um, it's, it's understanding that we as human beings uh, need something uh, from, somebody out, from something outside of us, and in, in doing that re- requires us to have faith in that entity to provide uh, the things that we can't. So, so I think that's kind of what's going here on here with the poor. Uh, what, what's your kind of take on it? No, and that, that's the way that I, I would look at it, too, is that it's, it's not just sort of, again, that sort of really mechanical way of looking at it. What's your bank account balance? Is it too high? Get rid of it. it there's, there's more going on than that. And I think the way you expressed it, the recognition that I don't have everything that I need. There's something missing, yeah. whether that is in physical terms or, or however that is. And, and the question then is, where do I look for it? Am I going to look to Jesus, who is the one who's come to preach the good news to the poor? Or am I going to look elsewhere and, and ultimately to myself and then be included in the rich ones 
who yeah. they've received their consolation. Now, having said that, you know, we also may want to make sure that we don't fall off on the other side and forget the dangers of wealth that Jesus is very clear yeah. about. You know, we're not and, saying and Jesus this. Jesus does speak very clearly yes. about that, too, in, in Scripture. Right, so we shouldn't, we shouldn't say that as a way to sort of justify, well, I've got more than I really need. There's a very important place for self-examination when it comes to our wealth and whether or not we are using it as an idol. But we also, again, we don't want to become Pharisees about it. And, and I think it, I do think that the text around it helped to avoid, help us to avoid that. But when you look, for example, at who Jesus has already called, you know, he's called a tax collector. He's called fishermen, people with occupations. He's going to, after this, he's going he's gonna to heal a centurion's servant. And I think when we look at their examples, th- that it's, they do show us what it means to, to be the blessed one as opposed to the one who's, who's given woe. And it's more than just this, again, mechanical way of, of looking at it. Do I check the box or not? Now, it's, it's more about the yeah. faith in the heart the, uh, and the, the trust that follows from it. Well, and I, and I think your statement about what wealth does there is very well taken, because why are the rich people, why do they have this woe? It isn't because they have stuff. I mean, stuff is stuff. I mean, every single one of us human beings needs things to live. And it's even okay to, to have nice things. I'm sure that there's uh, some some. Uh, things in your life that you you like because they are nice and and other people who are listening to this program there's probably something that you like uh, in particular that's nice I know that I uh, Pastor Matthew Ulmer have things I I I possess and I like the fact that those specific things are nice that the problem is where where does this wealth cause you to put your focus if your wealth makes you comfortable and takes your focus off of Jesus, the one who provides to you all things, then it can be an idol that can damn. Um, because God demands our, our fear, love, and trust. Um, so it's where where do these things cause our faith to be uh, focused on? Yeah, I mean, I, I recall when, when I think about the rich and the poor in the Gospel of Luke, I can't help but go back to the Magnificat, you know, where, where Mary sings yeah. about the rich, they get sent empty away, the hungry get filled with good things. And the Lord, you know, when, when we've got an idol, the Lord in his grace will tear it down, and, and he'll He'll show us that and take it away sometimes. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, he does that. So, again, I, I think this is just a conversation that, that helps us to prevent from reading this like Pharisees, and instead to read it as Jesus' disciples, putting our trust in him, not in our riches or our food or our happiness, to, to go through the first three of the Beatitudes. I do want to go to the fourth, Pastor Elmer, and maybe it's because yeah. because I'm a pastor particularly <laughs> that I think about this one. <laughs> blessed, are, blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude oh, you yeah. and revile you and spurn you. And then on the other hand, woe to you when all people speak well of you. For their pro- that's what their fathers did to the false prophets. And I mean, yeah. and, you know, you and I have both been in our congregations for the same length of time now. And I imagine this happens to you, that people will walk out of church and say, good sermon, pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Does that... On occasion, uh, yes. Right? I mean, so this, this, <laughs> this happens. It, what, is, what does it mean? What, what is Jesus talking about when people hate you and then when people speak well of you? I mean, does that... 
does that mean there there can never be a compliment for a faithful Christian? How, again, how do we understand this in the yeah. in the right way? And again, instead of that Pharisaical way. Yeah, I I think the most important phrase in that blessing and the woe is this: um, on account of the Son of Man. Okay, the the thing that people the thing that people are going to speak against. Uh, because you are, are a follower of Jesus, is Jesus. The people who are going to curse are going to curse you because of Jesus. They're going to exclude you because you belong to Jesus. They're going to revile you because you belong to Jesus. Uh, that The people that do these things are the people who have rejected Jesus. This is why he, he talks and, and says this phrase, um, for according to these things, their fathers did the prophets. Who were the prophets? They were the faithful people that God sent to Israel to speak to them God's words. And what did they do? They rejected them. Uh, they murdered them. They murdered them to the point that at one point in time, uh, what, there was only one prophet left in, in Israel, and his name was um, Elijah? And he was sent up against 500 prophets of Baal and Asherah. Uh, I mean, it, it's this it's this case where the enemies of God hate God, and and God says, since they hate me, they're gonna hate you. On the on the other token, when people are speaking well of you, uh, woe uh, comes when people are speaking well of you. I think that the point there is that why why would they speak uh, evil of you if you're on their side? If they're not going to speak well of uh, evil of you if you don't belong to Jesus, you're you're on their team, and, and and that's I think what's going on here. And you get that same phrase for according to these things, their fathers did the false prophets. Kind of the the example that always comes into my mind is um, Jer- Jeremiah and uh, his his kind of opposite false prophet. Remind me of his name. Hananiah was one of them. Yeah, Hananiah, Hananiah. I was, I was thinking Amaziah for some reason, but yeah, Hananiah. What what did the people do uh, to them? To Jeremiah, they 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 put him in stocks and and spit on him and beat him. And what did they do to Hananiah? They they thought he was the the greatest thing since the invention of Wonder Bread. Um, the the problem in this blessing, the cursing, is not you and it's not me. It's it's the one who we belong to. I appreciate what you you brought out, you know, on account of the Son of Man, because I do think that that's a, a really important recognition. And again, the the difference in audience when when one of the members at St. Paul Bishop tells you, Pastor, good sermon, that's a Christian speaking to you, and a, a yeah. Christian should recognize the faithfully proclaimed word of God and give thanks for that. the The people here that are either rejecting or are rejoicing, Jesus is talking about the world, the the people who yeah. loved the false prophets and didn't love the true prophets. And so if you find yourself being loved by the people who love the false prophets, there's a problem. And, and if you it, find it, yourself, you know, not not hated by those people, or if you find yourself hated by the people who love the true prophets, again, there's there's a problem. And so, I, uh, yeah, that doesn't mean that the Christian is going to have enemies everywhere, but the Christian should expect that the world will not love the things that the Christian believes and teaches, no matter how kindly they might be spoken. Jeremiah wasn't necessarily a jerk. You know, he, I'm sure he no. he preached very winsomely at times, even as direct as he had to be. 
but he was rejected regardless of whether he said it kindly or he said it as forcefully as he could. He was rejected because of the content, because he was preaching the truth of God's word. The world's always going to reject that. And if we as Christians find ourselves not being rejected by those who reject Jesus, that should be a warning sign for us. I I mean, I, I agree because because the word of Jesus Christ, while it is powerful and life-giving, all-powerful and all-life-giving, um, it, it is not compatible with the world. And, and he made those statements very, very clear in his teaching. So that incompatibility with Jesus' word and the world comes out as Jesus then begins to teach his disciples what the shape of their life looks like. And that's where the the text moves. As you said at the very beginning, we get these beatitudes and woes. This is who you are as Jesus' disciples. Now, how do you live? What does that look like in the world? That's where the sermon turns next. So we're picking up again in verse 27 of Luke chapter 6. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. That takes us through verse 36. That's where we're pausing today, which is perhaps a bit artificial. We just needed to make sure we had plenty of time to talk about this whole sermon, so we split it into two, and that's where we we break. So, Pastor Ulmer, a a lot of, I mean, so much that we can talk about here. You know, you you read, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Is Jesus serious here? Does he really understand what he's he's saying? Help us into these (laughs) words. I... I, the short answer to your question, uh, Brother Apple, is this. Yes, Jesus is serious. Mm. Period. Full stop. Okay. Um, so we don't want to, to water to these go words into down. That, yeah, to, to get into that a little bit further, I think, un- understanding the full context of what Jesus is saying, I, I think it, it helps to kind of start at the end of this section, at least to understand kind of what Jesus is, is saying here. And and you get and you get this statement, and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungracious and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. What, what Jesus is, is telling His people is that once they become a part of Him and what He is doing, He is a reflection of the Father, and His people are a reflection of Him. God uh, has mercy on people who don't deserve it people who are ungracious and wicked, by the way, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that once was you, um, that mercy that was had on the ungracious and the wicked, that mercy was had on you. So you get to, to have mercy on, on the ungracious and, and uh, wicked as well. What does that look like? Well, in this section, I believe that there is no less than 12 uh, commands, I believe we have here, eight and then four. Is my math right? 
I think so. And again, I think depending on where you start and where you end, some of what we're going to look at tomorrow may include some of those imperatives. But yes, I, my understanding is in this section, what the middle section before you get to the parables that we'll look at tomorrow, there are 12 imperatives. Yeah. So, I mean, what does it look like to uh, act like the Most High acts to the ungracious and wicked? Well, first of all, um, you love them. Okay, so so take us, I mean, that's kind of the, the broad one. Love your enemies, and, and he embellishes, you know, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. What what does that look like, Pastor Elmer? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know I don't know if I'm allowed, allowed to confess this on uh, KFUO, but I mean, these are really hard commands. <laughs> They're really hard to swallow because guess what? Even as a pastor— I'm called to love everybody, which I I do try to do, but I don't always like everybody. Do you find yourself in the same boat? So I I do think that that's a—well, sure, sure, Pastor Ulmer, right? I mean, I think everyone confesses this. This is not easy to love people who are out to hate you. I mean, that's—love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. You, You're you're face-to-face with someone whose intent is to harm you in one way or the other, and the command is to do— the opposite to do yep. good to them, and I I do think while it's it's not a uh, an excuse to be uh, a jerk, that yeah. dis- distinction between loving someone and liking someone can be helpful. That to love someone is to seek what is best for them, even if my emotions don't match that. I'm still going to, to seek what behalf. is best of for them. That that's yeah. the that's what Jesus is calling for here even when my emotions maybe have to drag them behind me kicking and screaming, the point is I'm going to do what's best for you, even if you continue to do what's worse for me. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, I'm going to put my, my feelings of hatred and animosity that uh, you, I might have because of what you have done to me behind me, because my call is to uh, serve you with the good works that God has prepared for me in advance to do, bringing back to that kind of second uh, Ephesians 2.10 thing that you brought up at the beginning of this message. Certainly, and, and the way that you have just connected it for us, to remember who we have been as sinners and what God has done for us and how that reality then shapes who we are. And maybe to use some baptismal language, you know, I've been in baptism, I've been placed into Christ— and so his li- my life begins to, to take on the shape of his life. And that's what Jesus is putting before us here. Because, and I think that's one thing, that we, we can't go past these words of Jesus without recognizing him as the one who does these things perfectly. And again, you know, I mean, just love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. St. Luke is the one who records for us the words of Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I mean, I think that's one of the, as we think about the difficulty of these words for us to put into practice, we have to recognize that Jesus is the one who's fulfilled them perfectly if we're ever going to begin to start to do them in our own lives. Yeah, and and only by being connected to him, by becoming his people, by becoming the people for whom he has accomplished these things, can we even come close uh, to accomplishing them in our lives, uh, kind of as a reflection of what he has done to us. So, so we do 
now on the other side of, of Jesus's cross, understand that we have been called to do these things, to love, to do good, to speak well, to pray, to give, uh, that we can, we can uh, do these things because he wants us to. Talk a little bit about verse 31, sometimes called the golden rule. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. How does that, I mean, almost serve as a summary of everything that comes before it from verse 27 on? Well, yeah, I think you. any time that this golden rule comes up, you, you always uh, go back to when Jesus was asked, what's the, the greatest uh, teaching in the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and the seconds like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it's, it's the second table of the law, folks. God created us to uh, respect authority, to respect life, to respect marriage, to respect property, to respect reputation, and to be content with the, the gifts that God has given us, and that he has called us as his people, the people that he has given these things to, the people that he has won back from their sins, that he expects us to to be examples to to others, but not just be examples, but to to live in the world uh, to the benefit of the other people in this world with respect to those commands. Now, as as the text goes into verses thirty two through thirty six, Jesus begins to make the point that what he's calling us to goes above and beyond what even sinners know how to do. I mean, you know, he says even even sinners know how to love people who've already shown love to them. And even sinners know how to do good for those who've done good to them. Jesus is, is calling us beyond that, what, what sinners know to do, what we would do, um, mm-hmm. putting in this quotes, what naturally would come to us. He's calling us to something greater than that, something beyond that. And again, he's the one who's done this first. When you think about God's giving to us, he's giving to people who can't do anything for him. And that is, again, to be the model for, for what our lives as Christians look like. Well, and not, not only can't they do it for him if given the choice, they, they probably wouldn't do it for that's him, right. because that's what it means for our flesh to, to be naturally God's enemy. Um, unless that enemy is killed, uh, and we say it is in baptism, it, it always fights against God and what he knows is best. Right. I mean, there's there's that baptismal connection again that, that God is, has put to death that sinner in us that only wants to yep. do good to the one who's already done good to me. And he's raised us to new life in Christ. There is that that new man, Christ living in me. And and that's what Jesus is calling forth here in this part of the sermon is is that new man. This is the shape of of what life looks like. Now, Pastor Elmer, as, as you and I have both said, this is hard, and we find ourselves as Christians, when we examine our lives, we don't do these things. So how do we, I mean, trying to put these two parts of this sermon together, how does what we were talking about with the Beatitudes help us when we find ourselves not doing the things that Jesus is talking about in this part? Well, I don't know if this is the answer that you you were trying to coax out of me or you wanted from me, but I, I think, I mean, in, in having this conversation with you, in preparing for this this talk this morning, this this last phrase, "Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful," just it just screams at me, Pastor Apple, because I know that I've talked about this uh, 
on with you on this program before, but but this just harkens to those words of the Kyrie, Kyrie eleison, uh, Lord have mercy. What what does it mean? Well, asking God for mercy, um, He shows it. That that makes us a part of what's going on in the Beatitudes uh, at the beginning of the sermon. We know that when we cry to God for mercy in our low state, where when we are poor, that, that he does have mercy and gives us everything that we need. And then that, that call, Lord, have mercy, we understand that he has created us and placed us in the world to have mercy on it too. That through our words and our actions, um, the, the word of what his son might go out, that he might have all that all the more mercy on on this world that's dying. I I love the connection you make with the the mercy of the Father there, and that does pull us back to the Beatitudes. Uh, and uh, as I was looking at it, another thing that that comes to my mind is as you were talking, that the blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping. These are the people that recognize they don't have it all. Uh, and as we start to try to do the things that Jesus speaks here in these imperatives in this life we are going to see that we don't do it all which should i think drive us to the father's mercy back to those beatitudes that we see oh i am poor i am hungry i am weeping now and then to receive the blessing that's ours from god the merciful one that's there in the beatitudes we got about a minute and a half here to to wrap things up pastor elmer give us the goods yeah i think as, as my last word to y'all, uh, be constant in prayer. Recognize that call uh, to be God's people, to, to understand that you are the people on whom he has had mercy. Uh, you are those who are blessed by God, and you are also the people uh, from whom God's blessing is going to extend into the world. Uh, may God be with you and give you the strength to do this blessed and holy task. Pastor Matt Ulmer is pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas, helping us today with Luke chapter 6, verses 20 to 36. Pastor Ulmer, thanks for being our guest today. It was a pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the Gospel of St. Luke, Luke chapter 6, or any of the text, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.